Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Notice as I share the Apostles' Creed here in just a moment that there's movement that happens. It moves across the entire length of the Scripture. It tells the whole story of the Bible. It's not just the the New Testament in 100 words. It's really the Bible in 100 words. Notice that we move through each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We just don't believe in ideas and principles. We believe in a person. And notice also how the Apostles' Creed moves through time. It begins at the beginning, at creation, and it ends with eternity. So, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. But on the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from there He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sin in our line for the day, and the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So as you've turned to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we step back in time to a group of early Christians that when they were introduced to Jesus, they were told, rightly so, Jesus could return at any moment. And they bet their lives on that. They bet their future on that. But as time went by and Jesus didn't return, some of the Thessalonian Christians began to die. And so this question came up in the early church. Well, we knew Jesus would come back at any moment, but he hasn't. And now some of our brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children have died. What happens to those who die in Christ? Everyone was talking about it, and they were unsure Versus the time that we live in, nobody talks about death. They were talking about it and they were unsure. We don't talk about it, but still in the back of our mind, we are unsure. I just returned from Disney and my wife, speaking of eternity, (laughs) a week in Disney goes on and on and on. Okay. So because my wife's a travel agent, learned a little bit of trivia that I did not know, that there's actually a code phrase at Disney for when somebody dies on property. If you actually die during the fireworks show or give out in your hotel room after too much fun, if somebody dies, they don't say a person has died, they say he's gone Rip Van Winkle. (laughs) They want to sugarcoat it. We want to put a euphemism on it because we don't want death to disrupt the happiest place on earth. Well, get this, it will eventually. And if we don't deal with death and we have this, we're not sure what's going to happen, this, this little bit of a confusion will turn into an outright collision as we deal at some point or another, each of us, with death. And I'm looking around this room. I've done a lot of funerals for people that you love and you know that we care for them. What happens when a person dies? Let's talk about this. So Paul writes to the believers at Thessalonica, And he says in chapter 4, verse 13, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. Uh, Actually, in older translations there, we don't want you to be ignorant. 
And that has some negative connotations, but it, but it just means you don't know what to believe about something. So we don't want you to be uninformed or ignorant about those who sleep in death. That word sleep in the Greek is the word from which we get our word cemetery. Cemetery means sleeping place. You go in, and if you didn't know any better, you think everyone's just asleep. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve. Please don't stop reading that verse right there because some Christians have. And they said, hey, as followers of Jesus, we don't need to grieve when somebody dies. Well, of course we do because we're human. Don't ever let a Christian make you feel guilty for being sad when someone dies. But the rest of that phrase, we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. So here's the deal. We grieve because we're lonely. We don't grieve because they're lost. That's kind of what the rest of the world thinks is that when somebody dies, that's it. They're lost. That, that's not the kind of grief we experience. Ours is not about loss. It's about loneliness, and it's okay to grieve. And it's also okay to move on at a certain point. You need to. So Paul says, what I'm about to tell you, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now skip down to the end, verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So here's a bookend here. He doesn't want us to be ignorant. Instead, he wants us to be encouraged. So whatever else we talk about today, we're not talking about something morbid. A um, little teacher got her class together. You know, they took that old classroom picture. And afterwards, she was really trying to sell it hard to the kids. You want to get a copy of this classroom picture because you'll look back one day when you're grown and you'll say, there's Michael, he's a doctor, and there's, there's Sarah, she's a lawyer. And a little kid at the back of the room goes, and there's our teacher, she's dead, you know. <laughs> yeah. Which is the truth, but it doesn't have to be morbid, Right. So as we're talking today, it's kind of weird to say we're going to laugh in the face of death, but it is something to which we are encouraged. We just don't feel better. We feel stronger for what Paul says. So let's move from ignorance to encouragement, okay? So let's walk through the… Oh, by the way, instead of me just saying this, let me draw it. I, I've been on a whiteboard kick here lately. <laughs> I don't know why, but just roll with it, Okay. Because I want to I draw a picture specifically of what we're talking about this morning. I think it'll make better sense. So, we'll wait for the camera two to catch up here. We believe as Christians in history. Let's wait for the camera to catch up. There we are. No jokes this week, guys, in the, in the video booth. So, we believe in history. And I'm going to put an H here. And what we believe about history is that God is sovereign over it all, okay? If we need peace... Peace is not going to be found in our circumstances. It's going to be found in the presence of God. God is control of, in control of what happens in history. We also believe as Christians in eternity, that one day God will set all things to rights, and He will restore all things. Behold, I make all things new. Between history and eternity, there is a huge event that takes place, and I'm just going to put the word return right here. We believe in the return of Jesus Christ. Now, if I may be honest with you, I think too many Christians spend way too much time arguing about the specific series of events that happens on this side and this side of the return of Jesus, and we get stuck in the weeds. I think we can all agree, based on Scripture, this is what we believe. 
Whatever else happens around that, we trust God to do that, okay? So we believe in history, we believe in eternity, we believe in the return of Jesus. Now, here's the problem. Well, it's not a problem. (laughs) Jesus Christ came once, said Hebrews 9, to bear sin. And he will return a second time to bring us home here. So here's the Thessalonians. They're born here right after the resurrection of Jesus. They live, they're waiting for Jesus to come back at any moment, but then they die. So what happens to them between this point and this point? And that's been 2,000 years. But let's make this more personal. Let's say this is you at this point on the continuum because we don't know when Jesus is going to return. You're going to try to live a good long time. You want Jesus to come back. But let's say you die before the return of Jesus. So not just what happened to them, what happens to you at that moment you close your eyes in death or the moment your wife passed away or your husband or your friend or your child, what happens to them at that moment and then what happens to them in those intervening years until Jesus Christ returns? This is exactly what Paul is about to tell us. It's exactly what he's going to try to make sure that we're not ignorant but encouraged. So, let's walk through this. Verse 14, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. That's where he starts. There's resurrection for us because Jesus was resurrected. And the only glimpse we have of our future resurrected body, and this might be kind of news for some of you, We're not going to spend eternity as little puffy clouds floating around. That's not in the Bible anywhere. We believe in the resurrection of the body, and the only glimpse we have of the resurrection body is when Jesus came back from the dead, and there for 40 days, they recognized, Jesus was recognized by his disciples, he could interact, he could walk into a room, he could be touched, he could eat, he interacted with, but was not limited to the physical world. So whatever we believe about the resurrection body, we're not told everything we want to know, but just what we need to know, that it's going to happen. Jesus Christ, His resurrection affects our eternity. What our resurrection bodies will look like, we're not sure. I just want a better hairline. So here we go. Okay. So Jesus died and rose again. So we believe, get this, that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. What does this tell us? This tells us that at the moment, and let's imagine that you are the one who dies. At the moment you die, your spirit leaves your body and goes into the presence of Jesus. Because if Jesus is returning, it says God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. Jesus can't bring bring you with him unless you're already there. So our spirit goes immediately in the moment of death to be in the presence of Jesus. Years ago, I had the privilege of doing a funeral for my good friend's wife. And while she passed away, he was doing CPR. And so I could tell him with full confidence, Bob, the moment Betty left your arms, she stepped into the arms of Jesus. She went from the arms of her husband to the arms of the Lord. Okay, So... When we die, our spirit will go to be with Jesus. And so, um, 
Jesus will bring, God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. Now verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, and now let's pretend like you're not the one who passed away, you're the one still living. Please pretend you're alive today when you're in church. That always helps. We who are still alive who are left to the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Here's the hardest part for any funeral that I do is going to the graveside and then walking away because a lot of people feel like they are abandoning their loved one. I've put them in the ground and now I've got to walk away. I feel like I'm leaving them behind. Can I tell you that that sense is just a sense? You are not leaving them behind. They have left you behind. That's what verse 15 says. We're not going to go ahead first. They've already gone there. So we will not precede those who have already fallen asleep with him. Now, here's where we get into the good stuff. We die. When we die, we go into the presence of Jesus. Verse 16, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, the trumpet call of God. I love the way the Phillips translation says this. One word of command, one shout from the archangel, one blast from the trumpet, and God himself will come down from heaven. It's happening. Here it is. And it says right on the heels of this, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, right there, if you're paying attention, you might be confused. Because I said a minute ago that the moment you die your spirit goes to be in the presence of God with Jesus Christ. So if your spirit is with Christ, how in the world can the dead in Christ rise if they're already there? Listen very carefully. The most important word around this entire discussion is the word resurrection. We believe in the resurrection of the body. The second most important word is the word reunion. At the second coming of Christ, there will be three reunions. That first reunion is between those who have died, their spirit is with the Lord, and their bodies that were buried here on earth. There's going to be a reunion. They're coming with Jesus, right, but their bodies will also rise. There'll be a reunion between spirit and body. Now, how do we deal with that if, like a Thessalonica, and they died 2,000 years ago, their dust, their, their bodies cease to exist. How do, how do we what do we do with that? So I want you to think for a minute about Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Don't you like those really hard transitions that I make? You know, we're talking about death. No, let's talk about ice cream. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's, if you go to their home office in Vermont, they actually have a graveyard for flavors that they've killed. If it doesn't sell well or it's just kind of spent its purpose, they will take a gallon of their ice cream, bury it in the ground, and put a headstone up. Now, I want you to imagine this from Ben and Jerry's standpoint. Let's say at some place they want to bring back Milky Moo. I don't even think that's a flavor. I just popped into my head. Would you buy an ice cream named Milky Moo? Probably. <laughs> says, well, I'm a pastor, not an ice cream maker. So at any point in Ben and Jerry's want to say, we want to resurrect that flavor, they can do so because they're the creators. They made it. And if they want to reintroduce it, they can. God is your creator. And if he decides at some point to bring your spirit back with him and reconstitute your body, 
He can. He's the maker. It's easier for him to do that than it is for Ben and Jerry's to reintroduce a flavor because he is the creator of all. So when Christ returns, there'll be a reunion between our body and our spirit, but that's not the only reunion that takes place. So while all that is happening, verse 17, after that, we who are still alive, let's say Jesus Christ were to come back today, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them. Here's the second reunion. There'll be a reunion between body and spirit for those who have died, and for those of us who are living, or if we die before the second coming of Christ, there will be a reunion with loved ones who have gone on before. This is why we don't need to grieve as those who have no hope. Did I mention I went to Disney earlier this year? So the one ride everyone wanted to go on was Avatar. How many of you have been on that ride? Okay, it's four minutes. It's a very interesting ride. It's very intense. It's kind of 3D and you feel like you're in this scene. So I'm not a big ride person. I'm not a big amusement park person, but I enjoy seeing my family have a good time. So I had the, the awareness during this Avatar ride. And yes, maybe I was also getting a little motion sick and just needed to turn my attention. But all seven of us are on this ride together. And I have the cognizance just to turn to the left just a minute where I saw my daughter and my daughter-in-law, and they were having the time of their lives. That was my favorite moment. It's not what was happening on the screen, but what was happening right next to me, just to see the look on their face. I hope we have the awareness that if we are still alive when Christ returns and we see our loved ones coming with Christ, and we are moving toward them as their body and spirit are being reunited and as we are being reunited with them, my encouragement is take just a moment and look around. The faces that we will see as that reunion takes place, Jesus says it will be better than Avatar. <laughs> just want to make sure we're still being joyful here and encouraging one another. I mean, can you imagine? A person who you only hoped you would see again, you see them again with Christ. So a reunion of body and spirit, a reunion with loved ones who have gone on before. By the way, there's a little line in the, the creed that we kind of passed over, that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. You know what that means? That means that we share a kinship with every Christian who has ever lived. That there's a bond that is there in Christ doesn't matter if it's your father or an ancestor who you never met. If they were in Christ, there's a bond there. And here's what I believe. I believe that we are never closer to those who are deceased than when we are in the action of worship. Because if their spirit is with the Lord in heaven, they are worshiping the Lord. And we'll talk about heaven next week. Please don't think that heaven is like 3,700 church services, okay? And by the way, church services are great, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're trying too hard here today. I'm jumping the gun a little bit. Imagine that perfect moment that you never want to have end. That's what our loved ones in Christ are experiencing right now. And when we connect our spirit with Christ, there's this bond there when we're so close to them. So it'll be a reunion between 
body and spirit, a reunion with who, the loved ones who have gone on before. And it says, and we will meet the Lord. We will be reunited with him. One old Puritan, you wouldn't even know his name. I didn't even know his name until I read this quote. But he was laying on his deathbed. Somebody was asking him um, what it was like to die. And he said, I am changing places, but I am not changing company. Meaning I'm moving from earth to heaven, but I've been walking with Jesus all these years, and I'm about to fully step into his presence. There will be that final reunion. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So let me encourage you with these words this morning. And here's our application. As followers of Jesus, we die differently. We die differently. It's not something that we need to ignore and hoping that it will go away. It won't. It's not something that we need to dread because Jesus made holy everything that he touched, and he touched the tomb. So even in dying, there's an opportunity to become more like Jesus and to trust him. Yesterday, I went to go visit a dear friend who has probably hours left to live. And I prayed that she would take the next steps, as she has always taken those steps throughout her life, with the Lord. We die differently. And then, we live differently. In light of the end, what we do now, we, we do it differently. It was Philip Yancey some years ago who was in an automobile accident and was told when the EMTs arrived that he had a piece of bone floating dangerously close to an artery, and at any moment that bone could pierce the artery and he could bleed out. So for about an hour, he didn't know if he would be alive to meet the next day. And so he said, three questions kept going through my mind. Who do I love? What have I done with my life? And am I really ready for what happens next? Those are pretty good questions to ask, not only when we come to die, but every day that we live. And because of resurrection of the body, we die and we live differently. So here's my funeral book. I have all my notes in here. When I conduct a funeral, when I go to a graveside, I carry this little book with me. And uh, in it, I have a story that I very seldom use. It's actually my favorite story about death in this entire book, but I only use it when I really think the opportunity is there. And so let me read this briefly. In the early 1800s, John Todd, his mom and dad both died, leaving him and his siblings as an orphan. And the practice of the day was that siblings were farmed out to all different relatives, and he was assigned to live with an aunt whom he had never met before. The aunt sent a servant on horseback to deliver young John Todd to his new home, and as they rode along, servant and son, John Todd's questions poured out. Will my aunt be there when I arrive? Will she be waiting for me? Will I like living with her? Servant just said, you've fallen into good hands. Will she love me? The servant said, your aunt has a big heart. Then he said, do you think she'll be waiting up when I get there? It's, it's already night. Do you think she will have gone to bed? Will she be waiting up for us? And the servant said, she will be waiting up. In fact, when we clear the woods, you'll see a candle in her window. She is waiting for you. John Todd remembered very vividly clearing the wood and seeing the house for the first time and the one candle in the window. 
His aunt came out in the front porch, greeted him, kissed him, and said, welcome home. So years later, John Todd grew up to be a pastor. Poor guy. <laughs> now the roles had reversed a bit because his aunt was now on her deathbed. As she was facing her impending death, John Todd wrote a letter in which he said, Dear Aunt, years ago, I left a house of death not knowing where I was to go, whether anyone cared, and whether or not it was the end of me. Finally, I arrived to your embrace, to a new home. I was expected. I felt safe. You did it all for me. And now it's your time to go. I'm writing to let you know that someone is waiting up. Your room is all ready. The light is on. The door is open. And you are expected. We believe in the resurrection of the body. Thanks be to God. Let's stand together and let's pray together. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace both now and forever. Amen.